Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by Jonathan Smoke from Move.com to discuss current trends in today's real estate marketplace as we enter into the fall 2015 selling season. Smoke is a 20-year veteran of the real estate industry, the chief economist for Realtor.com, and a regular guest on Real Estate Coaching Radio. He's also established himself in the real estate industry as a highly respected economist and strategic thinker. Now, let's welcome Jonathan to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. So, Jonathan, uh, as always, thank you for being my co-host, and welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio. Our listeners always love to hear from you uh, because you do such a fantastic job of taking um, what can be very confusing and complicated data and putting it in such a way that agents and your humble radio show hosts can easily understand it and then apply that information to our real estate businesses. So I really appreciate you taking the time out uh, to be our uh, re- uh, returning guest. So let, let me just jump in right with a question, right? So where are right. we at in the housing? Where are we at in the housing market? Where where are we in this whole process? I, I noticed the word recovery isn't really being used anymore so much with reports. So, so give us a sort of a you know a thirty thousand mile view of where how housing is doing. Well, we're in a very good place for housing, uh, no question. Uh, we expected this year uh, would be a good year, and indeed, it's turned out to be pretty much what what uh, we forecasted and and others expected, and that's going to put it as the best year we've had in all, almost a decade. Uh, so going back to 2006 on on most metrics, this year will turn out better for growth, better for home price appreciation, and a whole, whole lot of whole lot of categories. Um, so it's it, it's uh, it, we're in a very good place, and a lot of that's driven by you know the economy as well, uh, which has been consistently performing uh, at a at a pretty at a pretty strong level. Uh, so the foundation. Uh, the fundamentals that drive demand for housing have all been really good, and you see that reflected in virtually every metric that you look at. I think the reason why you've observed that the recovery word is not being used as much uh, by folks is, is depending on the market that you're in, uh, recovery is sort of uh, boring and, and old-fashioned anymore. You know, like in Texas, California, many places, um, jobs have been fully recovered for some time now. We're setting new record highs. Uh, in many places, home prices uh, have been recovered and are setting at, at least new nominal highs, uh, and uh, we're well on the path for home sales uh, to be getting into that territory too. So that's probably the reason why it's no longer cool to, to say recovery anymore. So when you were on the radio show last, we were talking a lot about the individual cities and markets that were doing well and which weren't, and there was a real clear uh, bifurcation, if you will, in, in certain parts of the country. Is that still true? Well, uh, you know, we we do report every month. That was probably one of the reports early in the spring when we had just started reporting on uh, quote the hottest markets. In fact, we released the August ones uh, on Monday this this week, and the pack in the top 20 has been largely the same pack uh, all summer, meaning that California is dominating the list, but um, so is Texas, and and actually Michigan has continued to have a couple of markets uh, on the list. Uh, we're seeing 
actually strength and volatility in many places in the country. Just a few weeks ago, we also reported on the hottest zip codes. Um, and the hottest zip codes essentially represented every region in the country from Boston to San Diego, uh, really speaking to the fact that this, uh, where we are and in this really good year it is pretty much a, a, a consistent theme in virtually every place in the country, and a lot of that has to do with the economy improving uh, and the emergence or the return of the first-time buyer, uh, which has been the part of the market that has been uh, that has been absent and, and not quite yet performing uh, up until this year. So uh, the good news is we continue to see lots of hot markets. If anything, there are so many uh, that are vying for it. I think as the, as the season of the year starts to change, uh, we may get a bit more markets represented in that list over the coming months. It seems like last time you and I did this uh, interview, uh, I had made the mistake, I think, of talking about the markets where Julie and I are looking for rental properties. <laughs> and since <laughs> then, th those markets have basically dried up for really great buying opportunities. Certain markets in Tennessee, our old stomping ground where we sold real estate forever in Columbus, Ohio, now everything there seems like it's really incredibly I mean, honestly, expensive from an investor's perspective. So the markets that were lagging, and here it is, that word again, the recovery seemed to be, you know, completely turned around. So the data from what I'm hearing you say, or I think I'm hearing you say, supports that, yes? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Columbus was the 10th hottest market in the country in, in August, and Nashville uh, entered the top 20 for the first time all year. In fact, it was the, first, it was the only new entrant into the top 20. Um, so, you, you know, you're seeing lots of different markets. It's not just California. Uh, California has certainly had its economic mojo going, and that's, that's really the reason why it's, it's dominated the list, that combined with how tight the supply is and how difficult it is to actually build more homes uh, in California mean that it's really hard to beat a California market on, on like, uh, median age of inventory, how quickly inventory is moving. Uh, but in, in terms of demand and the number of listing views and, and where we really see folks uh, really saying that they want to live by where they're clicking on the website or what, how they're looking up homes on their, their phones or their tablet, uh, really represent um, you know, great places all around the country. And one of those themes is, uh, is affordability. Uh, we are seeing that loud and clear in the hottest zip codes in the country. Um, so it's not it's not Beverly Hills 90210. It's it's basically places that that really represent solid values, uh, places that are good good places to raise a family. That's right. So headwinds. Let's talk about that. There's a lot of agents out there that are still getting over the recession, still getting over the housing crash, still waiting for the other shoe to drop. We see it in the questions that we get for the radio show. We see it in coaching clients. We just across the board. People just aren't seemingly that trusting that we're through the woods. So I guess it's a two-part question. Um, are we through the woods from your perspective, just looking at the housing data, um, and then headwinds? What potential headwinds might slow this uh, continued improving housing market down? So, uh, so the footing of, of housing, uh, let's go over the key points. Uh, demand is driven by uh, jobs and household formation fundamentally, and on both of those regards, uh, the country looks fantastic. Uh, we, we get the August job numbers released on Friday. Uh, most economists are expecting around 220,000 jobs. Uh, that will mean for the better part of a year now we've been consistently producing 
a trailing 12-month number of 3 million jobs. And that amount of job creation really produces substantial uh, you know, economic improvements at the household level for enough people that it pushes them into making housing decisions. That's also the reason why we have substantial increases in household formation. Uh, for the last three quarters, the, the annual pace of household formation has been about 1.5 to 1.6 million new households created. So those are people that, that either need to rent or they need to buy a home. Um, and so fundamentally, those are the two most important uh, factors that, that drive demand. Then when you dig into the housing market itself, uh, we see all good things. Uh, number one, uh, sales are strong and, and growing. Sales in July were up 10% over last year. Uh, new home sales were up even more. Uh, we set a new median um, price for existing homes uh, in June. Uh, part of the reason for that is, is we've eliminated most of the distress in the market that was driving down pricing before and causing a lot of the concerns. It means that we've had the healthiest market uh, that we've literally had since uh, 2006. Um, but at the same time, the number one issue that's been holding back the market all year long has been supply, uh, not enough of it. Um, it. When you look at, for example, the metric of month supply of homes on the market that NER publishes every month, uh, we've had 35 straight months and under six months of supply. Uh, there's no risk to home prices whenever you have a scenario that we have under six to seven months of supply. If anything, that tight supply is the reason why we've had above average uh, increases in, in home prices. But a result of that is we have been seeing listings grow all spring and summer. Uh, in fact, we are just now in September likely reaching the peak of inventory for the year, which is a bit later than you typically see in the market. And at the same time, home builders are finally kicking into uh, increasing production at the highest pace we've seen in the single-family arena for a very long time. Single-family starts in, in August were up 19% um, over, over last year, or in July that we heard in August were up 19% over last year. Um, so that all is really firm, um, and there are no kind of glaring flags or warning signals popping onto the dashboard to indicate uh, that the housing uh, market is risk. The place where you see a lot of volatility and a lot of concern has to do with uh, mortgage rates, um, and mortgage rates have been bouncing around quite a bit this year, and, and probably a bit too, mu too much attention uh, from the financial press has been aimed at what the Federal Reserve is going to do, um, and especially that's likely, along with China, been the reason why the stock market has been declining uh, here of late. Um, but this kind of stock correction that we've been having is is not um, a reflection of of problems in housing or or problems even in the economy. It's purely a, a reaction that that stocks have become overvalued and overpriced. And and in that sort of stock market correction, uh, the housing market rarely has uh, lingering issues. Well, an argument can be made because of the stock market issues of late that the Fed will maybe not mess around with the interest rates. So it could actually be a blessing for folks that are borrowing well, money. So there's that argument, that's right. too. I, I said I, I wrote some commentary last week after we'd had a couple of uh, really rough days on the stock market and, and said if there's, if there's one important conclusion of the stock uh, market downturn is that we already saw uh, mortgage rates decline. And, and it's literally a gift to today's buyers uh, this month because if you think about it, You've been trying to buy a home all year, and you've been frustrated because you haven't been able to find a home because supply has been tight or because you've 
You've lost out in competitive bid situations. Suddenly in September, we are at the peak of inventory, so there's more choices than ever. Uh, rates are now lower than they were just a few months ago and, and likely not to remain at this uh, for, for very long levels. And at the same time, school has started, so a lot of the households with, with children in school have, are no longer looking, so you face less competition. Uh, this is quite literally potentially the best month in a very long time uh, to buy a home. Well, you, can, you listeners can hear Eric and, you know, listen to Jonathan, and I think you're understanding why I like to have him as a uh, co-host. <laughs> it's always <laughs> almost always good news. Well, but in all actuality, when, we, when I was talking with you back when the housing market was crashing, I think I remember at one point we were talking about different, um, you know, the, the, the available supply of inventory in certain parts of the country was like two years. So, I mean, that, what I'm hearing, and listeners, I know a lot of you are skeptics. It's just the natural way that some of you are. Right, you're always listening, and you're trying to run things through a bunch of different filters. But I think Jonathan just kind of laid out some very clear arguments why, uh, going forward, we're entering in actually a, an, an ever-improving market. Long-time listeners, you guys know that we have been predicting for two years that this would be one of the greatest bull runs of housing. A lot of those predictions were based on listening to my friend Mr. Jonathan spoke. So hopefully, you guys are tuning into that, and if you find your skepticism is no longer serving you, uh, and then maybe you need to be taking uh, a little bit more aggressive actions to take advantage of this, what probably will be um, the best real estate markets of our lifetimes, it could very well be, um, you know, you need to seriously think about where you're holding yourself back, and, and, you know, here's, you know, the real estate coach and me coming out. If there's anything we can be doing to help you, please request a free coaching call at freecoachingcallsforagents.com. So, Jonathan, you did say something interesting there that, frankly, I didn't know. So you're saying the inventory right now in September is the highest it's been uh, throughout the, the entire year, which does put buyers in an interesting position going into the holidays, you know, last four months of the year. But here's the flip side to that. For agents that are really dialed in, this is a great time for them to be going after inventory to take into the new year for as far as spring listings. Because, um, you know, if these sellers that are putting their houses for sale now have unrealistic expectations, they're probably going to be taking their houses off the market for Christmas and then relisting them in the spring. So agents who are paying attention, this is a killer time for you to be picking up some of those uh, listings as they come off the market, maybe closer to November, December, talking to those sellers about maybe keeping them on the market, or if they're not going to keep them on the market, dialing them up so you can have those as spring listings. So guys, listen to where you can make money based on what you're hearing today on today's um, on today's radio show. So Jonathan, going into the fall, you know we talk. You know it's funny. I remember you and I talked a year ago. We were talking about interest rates increasing, and I remember our prediction was September, October. You're kind of. It sounds like you're still kind of maybe staying with that same stance, but who knows? Really, at this point, after the stock market gyrations, are, do you do you foresee any other interesting opportunities that maybe agents are overlooking for when you look at the economic data? So, you know, I do think that we stand a very good chance that the Fed is is still going to act in September. Uh, they really seem to have made up their mind, and and it's going to take a really negative job report. Uh, for August, I think, to, to alter that trajectory. But, you know, the real point that I would make to your listeners is that ignore the Fed, um, because the mortgage market has been ignoring the Federal Reserve all year long. Uh, of course, their their target rate has been zero all year long, yet the 30-year fixed rate has varied uh, more than 50 basis points uh, throughout the year. Uh, it, it, it touched 4.2% on average 30-year conforming, uh, back in in June, 
Um, so the mortgage rates are going to move, and I would argue, actually, they'll probably move more on Friday when the final jobs number for August is is released um, than they will when the Fed actually releases uh, their, their policy decision uh, in, in September. Uh, the reality is that the mortgage market is, is uh, really plugged into more of global trends, and part of the gift we receive this year is, is um, you know, the issues that are happening in China and the fact that a lot of capital around the world is, is really uh, craving uh, the bond market in the U.S., both uh, U.S. Treasuries as well as mortgage-backed securities. So um, whether the Fed wants the rates to go up or not uh, may actually have nothing to do with what we see in the mortgage market, and I think slightly higher rates than what we have today uh, is really in, in, inevitable. Um, but I really think in the short term, they're not going to go up all that much. Uh, they're going to go up a bit, and it's really going to encourage buyers, even more buyers, to want to get into the market. Uh, and I can share a data point that completely uh, backs that up. Uh, we we do a survey. We participate with a group to do a survey of active home shoppers every summer. And the number one issue uh, for all shoppers this July uh, for why they were in the market uh, when asked to, to identify the single issue uh, that most uh, caused them to be in the market was favorable interest rates. Um, so there's no question that people are going to be attuned to the volatility and what's going on there, and they're going to be acting uh, on that, both on the sales side uh, and and the buy side. So you've, um, you're positioned in the industry as being somewhat of an expert on millennial housing buying trends. And I want to touch on that, but I also want to talk about the complete other end of the market, the high-end luxury market. That market was on a tear for it just seemed like forever. Higher sale prices, the most expensive real estate in the country. You know, Lisa was making most of the headlines. But now I'm seeing evidence from our own coaching clients and from what I'm reading in the paper that those markets are starting to – the momentum is starting to slow down in the the luxury housing markets. are you? Is there any uh, data to support that, or is that just a regional thing? Well, we're actually working on, on a luxury home index uh, for the Wall Street Journal and the mansion section since we are a sister company to them now. Um, so we, we are paying very close attention to that. Um, I think part of what you're seeing is that the market overall uh, outside of the luxury segment is stronger than it has been. So the growth that you've seen uh, in luxury has been – uh, in part because the rest of the market wasn't uh, growing and as active as much. I, I do think we are uh, starting to see different markets uh, behave um, uh, differently, and a lot of that has to do with markets that had the luxury segment in particular influenced by foreign investors. Um, uh, when you look at the distribution of who's been buying homes this year, uh, international buyers uh, ha- has been one of the segments that has declined uh, in the volume of transactions uh, year over year. Um, so part of the issue is probably uh, localized uh, with with some of your listeners. Uh, we're not really seeing declines in uh, luxury home prices, um, but we are seeing uh, less growth uh, year over year in both prices and in, in transactions uh, across the, the, the luxury segment. Um, and I, that's actually a group that if any group in any uh, part of the market is going to be most impacted by the stock market correction, it's likely going to be that segment um, because they're more dependent on uh, stock proceeds or the value in stock or stock-related funds uh, for how they're uh, financing or providing for the cash uh, to purchase homes. Um, that and the strong dollar are part of the reasons why uh, the, the foreign buyer has also declined this year. 
Well, I read a report this morning that if the Chinese, the Chinese are starting to eye, I think I read this on Bloomberg, they're starting to eye American assets again, whereas before the Chinese buyers were in many parts of the country weren't buying at the same rates that they you know, had been. Supposedly now they're thinking about pulling money from China again and reinvesting in the United States. We'll see if that's true in the coming months. So let's yeah, talk so about much so. Uh, it, it, yeah, I also saw a report today that, <laughs> that China is trying to stop those flow of funds and doing right. anything they can to keep them, their money within the country. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see how effective that is. Uh, yeah, it will, definitely. So let's talk about the millennials. So for a long time, you were saying, okay, they're coming, they're coming. <laughs> you know. And now, in the past, really in the six months, past six months, maybe past four months, seeing more reports, reading more things. And I'm, you know, it's also interesting. I've been noticing that there's more advertising um selling mattresses, selling uh, appliances, selling this, selling that, where the people in the, the spots are millennials. And that was a major shift from old farts to you and I's age, right? You know, yeah. that, we, you know, right, the Generation X. But now we're seeing these millennials, they're the ones that are being marketed towards, uh, you know, for these home-type uh, products. So have they started in a noticeable way, as you've been predicting, entering in the market? Absolutely. There is no question. In fact, this is a bit of a teaser that we're issuing a major report next week on uh, millennials uh, and, in particular, uh, mortgages uh, this year because, of course, uh, as first-time buyers, millennials are are the segment that's most dependent on financing. So we thought that, uh, you know, if indeed we could look at the trends and, and provide some estimates on, on what millennials have been doing and actually dig into what is their financial recipe for being successful? We could have insights to help them as well as the realtors who, who are supporting them. And I can share one big insight that, that we estimate that over half of this year's growth in sales is coming from first-time buyers, which are mainly uh, older millennials, those that are 25 to 34 uh, this year. Uh, so, but as you would guess, there's huge differences around the country. It's very much correlated with affordability. Um, so, a Des Moines, Iowa, has a tremendous amount of of uh, 25 to 34 year olds uh, driving that market right now, compared to, let's say, San Francisco, uh, which is nowhere near the same uh, share, simply because of uh, the affordability and how difficult it is to make those financials uh, work. Uh, but there's no question they're out in large numbers. They're the largest generation in history. This is the year that they should have really been getting into the market because their older half is exactly in that time frame when most Americans buy their first homes. Um, but the interesting thing that we also found is that uh, this is not a story of easier credit enabling them. In fact, there's almost no data whatsoever that say that it's any easier today to get a mortgage uh, than it was before. And millennials um, are absolutely in that same boat. Millennials are not uh, getting any special treatment uh, when, it, when it comes to Quite the opposite. Uh, getting a mortgage. That's right. But two things kind of emerge when you study the data on the mortgages they've been getting. Number one, the change in the FHA premium that went into effect at the end of January is absolutely part of the reason why we've had growth. And millennials have been using uh, that option uh, far more this year. Uh, than in, in prior times. And uh, the second thing is it's really a testament to the fact that millennials have been benefiting from the economy and the job growth that's been happening. 
Uh, we just completed a survey uh, I mentioned before about mortgage rates being the number one reason driving all buyers into shopping this year. It's not the number one reason for millennials. The number one reason uh, that they cite that was their trigger for shopping for a home this summer uh, was an increase in income. And 35% of millennials looking to buy a home cited that as the reason why they wanted to buy a home. So you have a really successful cohort getting really good jobs, and it's part of the reason why you see such tremendous growth in some of the places that have more tech jobs and things that are appealing to young people. Um, But it's a story of economic success, not a story of easy credit. You know, that is really fascinating because before, at least the publicized belief was the housing market was fueled by essentially you know, fear and greed, fear that if I don't buy now, I'm going to lose out and I'm not going to get the interest rate and greed because I think I'm buying a winning lottery ticket. And it sounds to me like millennials are buying for more traditional reasons, which kind of warms my heart, to be honest with you. They're buying because it's a good time to secure a mortgage. They're buying for to start their families. I, I mean, that's what it sounds like your report's going to kind of expose, yes? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, that is the case. And you know what else? Uh, I think they also are thinking very rationally about the best places to live, and it's part of the reason why you're seeing um, kind of closer in suburbs with older houses that are more affordable but also offer better commute options, uh, ranking more highly in in the hottest areas that we're tracking across the country. So uh, I'm seeing lots of things that I like uh, in the millennial data, uh, reflecting a market that's very healthy and being driven by real real good old-fashioned life Um, events and things that uh, make complete sense. You know, it wasn't that long ago, Jonathan, and I'm sure you remember where they were talking about the fact that owning a home was never part, is no longer part of the American dream. You know, some people say it is the American dream, but I'll say it's part of the American dream. They're saying people are, we entered into a, you know, a a new sort of paradigm where people are going to choose to rent, and then they were citing things like Uber and things of that nature. But what I'm hearing you say is that not only were those people wrong, but they were really, really wrong. Because (laughs) just from, based on your statistics, it seems like the millennials are house-owning enthusiasts. I mean, and, but here's the other interesting thing, and you educated this, all of us on this fact last time you were on the radio show. You, you said the leading edge, the older millennials, and I had to kind of swallow hard when I heard you say 34, by the way. I think I heard you do the same thing. You know? <laughs> so, but they're the smallest group of the millennials, and the, and the right. largest group, yeah, so, so kind of put, put some context to that. That's right. This is just the tip of the wave, um, the way that the births actually worked out. The, the younger half of the millennials is even bigger than, uh, than the older half. So we are just now kind of on the cusp of what's going to be sustained uh, demand for really at least 20 years. And, oh, by the way, Generation Z looks to be very likely end up uh, even larger. Um, we've gone through the value, valley of the shadow of death that was Generation X. Um, oh, nice. And we're now in a... We're now in a much better place uh, from that perspective. But by the way, to your point about uh, this being uh, this not being the generation that's going to forever want to rent, uh, if you saw the NAR generational report that they released uh, earlier this year, uh, the group that felt that real estate uh, was a better investment than stocks at the highest percentage level, and especially given the gyration we've seen lately, is millennials. Um, they believe that investing in re- in real estate, 42% think that real estate is even better than stocks or any other type of investment. Okay, so that this, that I find really amazing. So you're saying the millennials see real estate as a more stable investment than, say, 
you know, stocks, bonds, securities of that nature, even more so than Jonathan, our generation, Generation X, or even That's baby right. boomers? Wow. That is correct. But why would correct. that be? Why, why would that be after they've seen the real estate market basically lead to what will historically be known as a depression? Why would they have that mindset, you think? Well, Tim, I like to believe it's because they're the smartest generation we've ever had. God, let's hope so. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I've got two of them that I'm responsible for, so I I certainly hope that's the case. Yeah, I hope you're right, too. So, listen, Jonathan, I really appreciate you being on our radio show. I always, you know, it's nice to have you on because I can listen and learn and I take notes. And, you know, I hope our coaches are doing the same so they can make sure our clients are hearing all this. I heard nothing but optimism. And for those of you guys who think that, well, of course, Tim's a real estate coach and Jonathan's from, you know, Realtor.com, of course they're going to be, you know, waving the pom-poms. The reality is if you listen to past interviews I've done with Mr. Smoke, you'll find out that, Frankly, some of our radio shows before maybe want to reach for the Xanax afterwards because they were so depressing because the information was kind of bleak. We've lived <laughs> you know, through it now, all, haven't we? we? But, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, from a historical perspective? Isn't it fun, Jonathan? Because we, we grew up in the same kind of, you know, everything was always seemingly getting better, right? And then in the back of my mind, from a business perspective, I was always wondering, how will I do when we actually face, uh, a re- not a recession, but a real economic downturn? Because you read all these historical perspectives on how some people flourished and some people you know, didn't during the Great Depression. And here it is. We're on the other end of one. It is an interesting uh, time to be uh, alive and having that perspective, isn't it? It's, it's actually a real gift, I think. And absolutely, now that we're through the valley, <laughs> it's great to reflect upon it. <laughs> the valley of death. Ugh, that's bleak. So listen, Mr. Smoke, I really appreciate your time on the radio show today. Jonathan, so uh, you do a lot of public speaking. You do a lot of uh, outreach to the industry, obviously, as being what I see as the most respected housing economist in the industry. So if folks want to hear you speak, if they want to uh, directly get in contact with you, get access to your reports, how can they do so? Well, they can, of course, go to Realtor.com. I uh, publish commentary uh, every week. Um, I like to be described as the hardest-working economist, at least, and that's reflected in the news and reports that we're doing. They can follow me on at Smoke on Housing on Twitter, um, but chances are they can just go to their state and local events because um, – l- let me just rattle off the states I'm visiting in September, October, and November. New Hampshire, New Jersey, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania – Virginia, Massachusetts, North Carolina, Illinois, Arizona, Tennessee, and Florida. Uh, so um, there will be a few events uh, that they'll be able to see me lo- locally. And when I do the local events, uh, we're not just talking about national trends. We get very local uh, with with the trends that are happening in the hottest areas and what we're seeing on Realtor.com. So I guarantee it's one of the uh, one of the best uh, events they can uh, they can attend locally. So, Mr. Smoke. I really appreciate your time today. I sincerely do. And thanks for sharing and thanks for caring so much about our our industry and helping us to make smarter agents and smarter agents obviously make better informed consumers. So on behalf of Julie, myself, and all of our faculty and staff, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Tim. Anytime. Have a great day. 
So like a lot of you, our business is growing quickly. I mean, matter of fact, since the beginning of the year, we have added between coaches and salespeople over 50 people. And one of the <laughs> constant challenges we have is, like you, communication. So how do we all keep in contact with each other? We have actually upgraded our entire systems to VTech phones. Now, I personally was very fearful of getting into the whole, you know, figuring out what phone system to use. And I was very tempted to even do what a lot of you are probably doing, just say, well, the heck with it. I'm just going to go with the cell phone and use that for everything. But unfortunately, cell phones have a lot of limited use. The dropped calls, the receptions, the audio quality, all that good stuff. That's the reason that we are looking for a really great solution, and we went with VTech phones. And now the wonderful thing about VTech phones, and I'm going to give you guys some more specific, specific information about that now, is that they're just so easy to use. They're just plug and play. You don't need an IT guy. You don't need to call out you know, your phone guy. It's simple. It's an elegant solution that all of you need to seriously consider, whether it's just you and an assistant, or it's you and your in your team, or frankly, the VTech four line small business phone system might even be perfect if you are working out of your house and use it as your home phone. VTech's new four line small business phone system is the perfect solution for small business owners that need to install a phone system that has the qualities and features that they have previously only been available for companies with bigger budgets. The new system is the most affordable and easy to install four line system on the market. The four line small business phone system components include the main console and the optional of expandable cordless desk sets, cordless accessory handsets, cordless headsets, and speaker phones, allowing the system to grow alongside a business up to 10 extensions. The VTech four-line small business phone system components are available in stores and online at Office Depot, Office Max, and Staples, as well as online at vtechphones.com. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.